the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 352 for Monday, September 12th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in some tips, we provide some answers to your questions. We add our own tips. We mix it all together and we all learn something together here about the Mac here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun. Hi, John F. Braun. Dave going well so far, David. Yes. That Great is day. the first time we've been friends for probably 25 years, somewhere in that range might be a little oh, short wow. of that might be a little more. That is, I'm certain of this. That's the first time you've called me David. It's fine. It doesn't really bother me. I just notice it. There, there are a few people here on the planet that call me David. Uh, some of them are, you know, several of my favorite people. But, uh, but, but you have never called me that. It's okay. All right, D. <laughs> so yeah, I got. And, eh, never mind. All right. So as Lion has been out here for uh, a couple of months, uh, mm. there have been, and certainly there were right out of the gate, but. Continuing reports of machines of line just not functioning right, especially on computers that have been upgraded to Lion from Snow Leopard, which let's face it, that's going to be the vast majority of machines because uh, the only way you get Lion is either by purchasing it in the Mac App Store or getting it on a brand new Mac. And or, even, well, I believe they also will sell it to you on a USB stick, right? Uh, yeah. Isn't that supposed to be the end of September? It might be out. That's true. No, that maybe it was the end of August. That's right. You can get it that way too. Uh, but you're right. Most people are, are going to be taking the upgrade path. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's tricky, not impossible. We've talked about it in previous shows uh, to, to do a clean install of lion uh, from a, uh, from the upgraded version. It's, it's doable, but you've got to jump through some hoops and you've got to be willing to, to, you know, you've got to install it and then you've got to do the, the, you hold down uh, option when you boot up and you go into the recovery partition and then you tell it, you go to disk utility, you wipe the drive, you tell it to reinstall. Uh, and then, and then it works fine. But, uh, but there've been a lot of quirky things and, I've been through my own quirks here. Uh, you've been through some and we've had some listeners go through some. Well, uh, Jeff Q, who uh, who works with us over, of course, at, uh, at Backbeat Media, upgraded to Lion several weeks ago, and it had been a train wreck for him. He most of the time he could not successfully launch mail. And uh, and that's kind of a problem, you know, uh, for someone who works on this computer and uses email all day. So, so I, would it bounce with the, with the icon bounce or, or nothing? It would bounce, but it would never, the little light would never come on. Ooh. And so I started troubleshooting it with him. And the first thing I noticed was when this would happen, uh, it would show mail running. If you opened activity monitor, you could find a mail process. So there was like a zombied mail process out there. And if we killed that off, then we could get it to launch some of the time. And so what we did was uh, using activity monitor, when you've got a process that's open and even a zombie process, uh, you can double click on that process and you get three tabs. You get memory statistics and open files and ports. And so I had him, uh, he actually shared his screen with me. We use Skype to do screen sharing. 
And I started looking down the list and I saw something that, and he even caught it too. He's like, what is that thing? And it said, uh, it shows all this list shows all the files that, uh, that the program is accessing at that point in time. And he noticed something called uh, library input managers, one password IM. And here's the thing uh, that library input managers folder contains things that are from much older, uh, a much older way of doing things. One password hasn't used that particular way of interacting with your system for at least one major version, possibly two. It, it, it was possibly version two of one password. They're on 3.9 now, and they do things in a whole different way. Uh, what input managers are in a very general sense is uh, they are little bits of code that effectively get injected into every program that's run. And, uh, and of course that's a very messy way of doing things. It sometimes, uh, especially if the program itself isn't extensible, uh, Sometimes it's the only way of getting your code inside of uh, another program. But then you've got your code, which you wrote running inside of somebody else's program, which they wrote. And, you know, maybe somebody broke a rule along the way and now things kind of collide. So this input manager thing really surprised me because he was on the latest version of one password. And so we went into the input managers folder and we deleted the one password IM thing. And then mail worked totally fine. And we completely solved this problem. And then he said lots of other things on his system started working better, which is no great surprise because this code wasn't being injected. Well, here's the thing. I looked on all of my non fresh install. So I have my, my new iMac has a fresh install of lion. Uh, the rest of the machines essentially here that are running lion are upgrade installs. Every single one of them had this uh, library input managers folder. Now they we're talking about the library folder at the root of the hard drive, not in your home folder. Uh, used to be that you could have input managers folders in both places and you might, but since starting with snow leopard, uh, the system only pays attention to the root level library input managers folder. The one in your home folder will be ignored. Um, so I went in there and I found four things in, in mine and I'm finding them on this machine too. And I know none of these are in use because all this stuff is being done differently at one password. I am is on my machine. Chacks is there, which is an iChat um, enhancement. It added, uh, of course, back when, when that mattered, it added iChat with tabs, but, uh, but that's not important right now. Uh, and then, <laughs> I couldn't help it, John. It's been, uh, it's been a I, long time. I, yeah, I couldn't hear it, but you made that echo, right? I did. Yeah. There was a lot of okay. there. Uh, and then there's an Ecamm folder, which again is, I, I use a lot of Ecamm software, but they're not doing things this way anymore. Yep. And I, then, I got that with stuff dating to 2008. Yep. And then I've got menu extra enabler, which goes all the way back to 2006, which I also know I'm not using, uh, because, uh, that was, uh, I, I think it was, um, uh, menu meters used that. But again, it's, you know, it's all done differently now because people decided that this was not a great way of doing things. And, and Apple made different facilities available in the OS. So people weren't forced down this path, but the fact that all this stuff was out there was disturbing. And even stranger still was the fact that it was being loaded on his system and not on some of mine, because I had one machine that had all this stuff, but I looked in my open files and ports for mail and it wasn't loading this one password. I am so very, very interesting that, uh, that this stuff existed. If you have upgraded to lion, 
And, you know, we talk about cruft, right? When you upgrade and upgrade and upgrade and, you know, this stuff does get kind of migrated up with you. Uh, if you've upgraded the line, this is a, a good folder to check. Go into, again, it's your main hard drive, library, input managers. Now, if the folder doesn't exist, you're fine. Uh, but if it does look in there, chances are whatever's in there is not being used. So go ahead and, uh, and, and wipe those things out. There should only, it shouldn't be that many. I mean, I'm someone who installs a lot of junk on my machine and there's four things in there. So, uh, so wipe them out. And even if you've upgraded to snow leopard, you probably aren't using any of the things in that folder. Make note of what they were. And if you happen to lose some functionality in a related app, well, you can reinstall them, but, uh, but otherwise get them out of there, reboot the machine and, and hopefully you'll be in uh, slightly more stable shape or perhaps significantly more stable shape. John, you've got a, a similar, uh, you, you went through similar. a similar thing, right? More cruft. More cruft. So here's the cruft that I found. Now the cruft's going to go away. But here's what I was noticing. So every now and then, just for kicks, I like to go to the console to see if, if there's anything reporting it's, it's unhappy. And I found something. So I was getting this message. Let me bring it up here. Okay. So uh, in the console, you see the date and time and then sync server, uh -oh, you know, which is sync services. And it said data manager warning client com.apple.palm. I'm like, huh? Palm image file path, blah, 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 blah. The, does not exist. And there, there were like three messages that all belong to this entity called com.apple.palm. And I'm like, that's weird. Huh. Now I did. Now the thing is on this machine, because it's an upgrade machine. So here's the problem. As, as you're pointing out, I used to have a Palm a number of years ago. Of course, now I'm an iPhone type of guy, but I had a Palm, which you could sync with iSync, which doesn't exist anymore, at least not in Lion. Right. But apparently uh, iSync tied into or tied into sync services and apparently left a little cruft. So, uh, you know, started surfing, did the Google foo and, and found uh, similar discussions on the uh, Apple uh, support boards. And one person said, well, here's a way to get rid of this stuff. So what you do is you go into, I think it was system library sync services and open oh, this oh, package. Oh, and I'm like, whoa, oh. whoa, 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 no, we know because we as we know, <laughs> you don't touch that folder. That's there, there's a knowledge base article that talks about that folder. You avoid that folder like a swarm of bees. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, no, no, no. And then it, then it mentioned something else. And I'm like, oh, I hadn't heard of this before. So there is a utility called sync, sync, synchro specter, S Y N C R O I'm kind of stumbling on that. Is that okay. it? Sing, synchro specter. Wow. Synchro. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's easy to read. It makes total sense when you read it. But synchro specter. Yeah. Synchro specter. And what does this do? It shows you. As far as I can tell, the entities that are registered and I'll call them entities. So it shows you things. Yeah, I'll say things that are registered with sync services. And so it'll show some things that are are you know, like here, address book, dashboard, doc. So a lot of the things that you select in MobileMe, then it, and they're listed as apps, but then it also lists things that are of type device. And on this machine, it had listed John's Palm as a device. And I'm like, huh, you know what? I bet you, and, and it also showed the status, never synced. Because of course, I haven't synced with it in ages, but it still had a record of it. 
And yeah, and the designator. So this is where this com.apple.palm came from. That's what's called a client identifier in this utility. So I'm like, you know what? I bet you I can safely get rid of it using this utility. And you can highlight something with this utility and click on unregister. And it's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah. Well, that error went away. Now, I don't know if that error was causing any problems. It, it, it was classified as a warning, but it still was polluting my console. So, and, and as far as I can tell, this is a safe way to remove things from sync services. Well, it is an Apple utility, so I would, I would venture to say that it will do things safely. So I still have least, a backup. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think what it does, yeah, it goes into that folder you know, it goes into that, that database, you know, in, in some cases, yeah, I did find a package file and there's also individual folders. Again, I would not delete those individual folders. This does it for you because I think in addition to getting rid of the data, it also unregister, unregisters it from some database somewhere, which mm. to me is the right way to do it. Yeah. So, uh, you have to install the developer tools. You may want to run this and just peruse it. And if you see anything, or if you're, if you're getting errors, in the console. Now, again, please back up because, you know, sync services is, is very persnickety. <laughs> is that a good right word? It's <laughs> the only word. Yeah. It's very easily confused, but my experience is I did this, the error went away and, and I'm still running all of my other stuff. That's so, great. So it was a great, it was a, a really nice find. I, I never run this before. I think I, I never come across it. I'll, I'll have to look at some of the other developer tools that they have a whole slew of them. Um, so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Error's gone away. Nice, clean console. Cool. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's fantastic, even. Uh, you know, I want to talk about our first sponsor here, which is Barebones Software. And BB Edit 10 is, uh, is what I want to talk about today. And I'm so happy about uh, one thing that they've done with BB Edit 10, and that is that they've changed the pricing um, substantially by simply lowering it. Uh, BB edit 10 is now, uh, well, the suggested retail price is 50 bucks, 49 99, but through October 20th, it is only 39 99 for a, a fully licensed. This is not an upgrade copy. There's no requirements here. You don't have to, you just got to do it between now and October 20th, 39 99. You get a fully licensed copy of BB edit. Uh, you can buy it from them. You can buy it from the Mac app store. And BB edit is an awesome little text editor. Uh, and uh, I say little, it's an awesome text editor. You can, as it always has been, once you start editing code and that code can be something uh, like Java or C or PHP or even HTML. Uh, or you could be editing XML, right? You could pull in some uh, RSS file and it'll immediately start color coding all of the tags in there. Now, these aren't saved in the file. They're not going to muck up your code. Um, it's just the program offering this filter on top of it to make it easier for you to see and easier for you to interact with. Uh, I also use BB edit a lot. If I have something in, uh, you know, if I want to copy and paste something, but when I paste it, it comes with all the formatting and junk that it had when I went to copy it. Well, I'll paste it into BB edit and then recopy it from BB edit and paste it out into whatever app I want BB edit because it's just a plain text editor. Um, albeit with all these other features, it will help strip out that uh, all that extra formatting. 
new in, in BB edit 10, in addition to the pricing is they've got these new project uh, and document windows. So you've got a list of not only what's currently open in that project, but recently used documents in the project. You can now use Dropbox with BB edit uh, to store all of your application support stuff, like your preferences and all that other stuff with BB edit. You can, you can store it with that way. You can search, replace, and even edit files that are inside of zip archives without unzipping them. So if you've got some little zip archive and you want to make a change to a text file that's in there, you can go and navigate in, edit it, and save it. And now that zip file remains uh, with those changes. So check it out, barebones.com. Of course, you can download a free trial, and and I encourage you to do that. But remember, uh, by October 20th, so you got a little over a month, uh, you're going to want to make this purchase because it it's, you know, th- this thing has been hundreds of dollars uh, up until very recently. And now they've uh, they've come out with this new pricing scheme and it's fa- frankly fantastic. So check it all out. Barebones.com. And with that, John, we will move on to an- another tip from Phil. This is uh this is interesting. Phil says, my brother just had one of those airport irritations where you get diverted during the TSA screening process because he forgot that he had a water bottle in his luggage. Due to the distraction, he forgot to pick up his laptop off the conveyor belt. He didn't realize what had happened until he had arrived at his destination. Fortunately, he was able to call airport security and they held it for him. Identifying the laptop wasn't easy, however, because for him, it looked like so many other Dell laptops. But the TSA screener had a simple suggestion said to tape a business card to the bottom of your computer makes it easier to identify. And the TSA can call you if you leave it in security, simple, cheap and effective. I just did it to mine an idea worth spreading. So thanks, Phil. That's uh, that's good advice. I've also heard while we're speaking of the TSA and I and I will uh, (laughs) I will leave uh, the the innocent nameless here. But uh but several of my regularly traveling friends that have moved to MacBook Airs. Now, remember, technically, a MacBook Air should not be subject to being removed from your bag, just like your iPad does not need to be removed because the MacBook Air has no moving parts. There's no hard drive. There's no um, there's no optical drive. There's nothing that that would you know require the TSA to screen it separately. So. Uh, but is that, that why? Because there are yeah. mechanical components in a laptop. That, is that, that what concerns them? That's the difference between a laptop and the and the iPad, and that's why the iPad can pass through uh, huh. without it. Interesting. But here's the thing: when they see a MacBook Air, it looks like a laptop, and they have you take it out, which is you know it slows down the process. Well, let's bear in mind that the MacBook Airs are now very very thin, and if you were to stand one up on its edge. Uh, or position your luggage so that your MacBook Air is stood up on its edge, uh, it will pass through security unscathed and unnoticed. So that is uh, that's the other piece of TSA advice is uh, is that you can. Yeah, I've been told you can do this. I, I don't have a MacBook Air, so I have not tried this, but uh, but rest assured I will uh, when uh, when I have the opportunity to do that. So because it's a drag having to take the MacBook out. Or the MacBook Pro or whatever, the laptop in general. So. Where is uh, another thing that this reminds me of? Isn't there a way to uh, add some text to the, uh, to the login, login screen yes. in Lion? I can't find where to do that. I, I haven't. Yeah, uh, there is a way to do it. You know, I will. Um, 
I will ask uh, John Martellaro is the one that always seems to be able to find that when uh, when I need it. So I will send him a little Skype note at the moment and uh, and I will see if he can tell us. Where do you edit the login screen uh, customization info in Lion? And hopefully by the end of the show, we will have um, we will have the answer for you. Uh, all right, John, we will move on while we're waiting for that answer. We will move on to Chris's comment. You know, we've been talking a lot about mobile me mail recently, and we talked about some troubleshooting in it during uh, last show number 351. And Chris writes, uh, I just encountered an issue with mobile me mail and was not aware that mobile me had limits. There is a limit on the number of emails that you can send or forward daily. That number is 200. If you exceed this limit, you are shut out for 24 hours from the time you send the 200th email. So no sending emails from any device using mobile me until the server has reset your account 24 hours later. You can still receive mail, but you cannot send it. Chris says uh, his tale of woe happened as a result of attempting to set up a mail rule and then invoking it. The rule sent over 300 emails uh, to his wife. Uh, unaware, he'd created a problem for himself when the following morning he was trying to send emails and kept getting error messages. Contacted Apple and MobileMe support told him about the limit. So it is a good limit to know about. It's uh, it's not unreasonable to send out a couple hundred emails in a day if you're doing a lot of work or or something like that. I mean, it, it it's a lot, but uh, but certainly reachable even without a foobar with the uh, with the rules like like Chris went through here. So, ready to move on to our next question, John, or our first question of the show? Since oh, we're on the first the, one, since we're on the mail right. rules topic here, uh, Justin writes: I've been having a problem with mail ever since I updated to Mac OS X Lion. My mail rules are not applying the way I have set them up. I've tried creating new rules, but none of the rules will apply themselves, even if I select the email and tell it to apply rules. The email just sits there mockingly in the same incorrect box. I've looked everywhere online and can't seem to find any answers. What can I do to fix this? You want to you start off with this one, John? I'm going to offer a suggestion. Okay. So... This came up earlier. It was actually, again, our own John Martellaro. Uh, he had a question about, I guess he wasn't sure. Or Mail rules can sometimes, if, if you have very complex rules, sometimes they may not execute in, in, the, in the order that you expect. And I've had this happen too sometimes. You know, I'd, I'd set it up to search for a certain uh, amount of text, and then it'll put it in the wrong box because I didn't think it through. So what I'm going to suggest is that mail will give you the ability to tie an Apple script to a mail rule. So what I would suggest here, what you may want to do, and I have here, it's a Mac OS 10 hints article. It's a short little Apple script that you can attach to each of your mail rules. And when a rule gets executed, it will come up and tell you which one was executed. So I guess what I'm suggesting is that this is a useful debug tool in order to find out what rules are being executed and that maybe the rule that you think is being run is not being run and another one is being run. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. So right, that's, right. That's the only say that's what I have as a general suggestion for a debug tool is, okay. is this may be able to help you uh, look underneath the covers and see what, and see if mail is doing what you, what you, what you expect it or think it should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's actually, I like that idea because that way you, you, you get some insight into what's going on. My, my thought, I mean, as far on, as I know, the order that they're in is the order in that they're evaluated. The, the one at the top of the list is the first one and it goes through them sequentially. As far as I know, that's, that's how it does it. And you can, you can change them if you want. I think you just drag them, right? That's right. And, and that is correct. But here's the other thing next to each one is a little checkbox. Uh, and the column for that checkbox is named active. So if, for whatever reason, none of them are active, uh, then that the rule is not going to be applied. It's as though the rule is, is not there. It's just a, a, an easier way of, of dealing with them as opposed to deleting the rule and then putting it back or, or what have you. You know, I, I believe that. Yeah, we talked about it earlier. I believe that happened when I upgraded to Lion. Yep. I believe initially my rules were deactivated because all of a sudden I was getting all this spam and right. It's like, well, I run spam sieve. What, what, what's going on here? So, so I think the first time you run mail after you upgrade to Lion, the, your rules may not execute. That, that could be what's happening. May not. Right. And this is another one of those inconsistencies because they sometimes stick around and sometimes don't. So, yeah, check that box. It, if they are all unchecked, it might not be obvious when you're just glancing at it that they should be checked. Uh, and, and that, uh, that would be the other thing too. The, the, the third option is to wipe out all your rules. Uh, and you can either do it by deleting them all in here, or perhaps even better. If you go into your home folder into library, uh, into V2, oh, sorry, sorry. Slowing down a second home folder, library, mail V2, uh, there should in there be a folder called mailboxes and uh well, where is that what do they do oh sorry mail data and then there is message rules dot p list uh which is the xml file that contains all your mail rules and if you if you need to just delete that uh quit mail first delete that relaunch mail you will have no rules left but if there if it is a damaged preference file that's the one home library mail v2 mail data kind of a path down, but you're looking for message rules. P list. That's my, that's my theory on that one. It's good. Good theory. I like it. Time to go to George. Yes, sir. All right. George writes. Uh, where, what did write? Okay. George says, how do I get, uh, to the aperture library that is in pictures? How do I get that to show up? in desktop and screensaver system preference pane. iPhoto is showing there, but not Aperture. And I have pictures in Aperture that I would like to use for my desktop and screensaver. John, you're Mr. Aperture here, so go. Well, I don't know about that, but I do have it installed on my system. There you go. So, and you know that this is another, that this is a, you know, I love how we have these themes that kind of weave through our questions here. I think this is another upgrade issue. I think you're right. So I went to the same place that, that, that was, he that was did. not intentional, actually, <laughs> but, it, but it, yet again, yeah, there it is. I think subconsciously you, uh, maybe you there. <laughs> All right. So I went to the same place. Wait, 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 what's it called now here? Uh, uh, desktop and screensaver. So I went there and on the left side, what you should get is a list of various sources for photos or, or images. Right. And I saw the same thing. So I saw iPhoto show up in a little triangle, which is, you know, means click on me and it expands it. 
And then I had to wait a moment. And I think I saw the little spinning progress thing. And then I saw Aperture show up, but it didn't have a triangle next to it. So I couldn't look inside of it. So it knew enough that Aperture was installed on my system, but something was screwed up Hmm. to be technical. So I'm like, oh, man. So typically what you do in cases like this, and I think this, both you and I touch upon it, but to be explicit here, it's probably, it could be a corrupt preference file. So how do you determine which of the hundreds of preference files or plist files on your system is linked to this uh, system preference pane ooh, or, ooh, or selection? Pick me. Pick me. I know the answer. And I know the answer, but I'll pick you, Dave. Because, okay. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to do, right? To figure out which preference file uh, is damaged. So what you do is you've got to use, you can use Spotlight to do this, right? Ooh. Oh, I did something different. Okay, go. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh, and I'm actually hoping that they'll pick me for this, but uh, planning to do this as a five-minute quick little tip session at Macworld Expo because I think it's so valuable uh, because there is a sea of preference files out there. So uh, bear with me because I was not prepared for this, John, but I've got it. Uh, So the first thing you have to do is in the finder, not using the spotlight menu in the upper right corner of the screen, but the one in the finder, type anything it doesn't matter uh but you need to get you know you need to get a little search window going and this works on both lion and on snow leopard and and on leopard prior so get it to the point where it's searching this mac and uh and then over on the right uh, of that window below the search bar but above the results kind of between the two there's a little plus sign hit the plus sign and you are going to uh, first choose system files there. Now, it's possible that system files will not exist for you because it doesn't exist by default. If that's the case, all the way at the bottom is other. Uh, That will pull up a big, huge laundry list of uh, all the things that you could have in this menu. Scroll down and under S, you'll see system files. Check the box next to that to to, uh, make it in menu. Now that you're back... uh, from that little drop down, choose system files and set it to R included. Next, hit the plus sign again and go to last modified date and change that to today. Uh, that'll just narrow down the number of things that it's going to show you. At this point, what you want to do is sort this result list by last opened. And, uh, And now what you do is you go and you try to modify the preference. So you go into system preferences and you click a, you know, a a preference pane or something and and change some setting and boom, that file will float to the top of this list because you're showing all files that were modified today. And Oh, you want to make sure you wipe out whatever you typed into the search field at the top because you don't want to filter by any text. Uh, but you had to type something there in order to get this search window up in the first place. So once you've got these two criteria set, wipe out the little field up top. You'll still be in search mode and uh, and this will work. So that that's that's how I find which preference pane is uh, is out there. So. Oh, all right. I'll tell you how I did it. Yeah, you probably did it easier, but this is. Oh, oh, and it, what, sorry. While while we're right here on that little thing, once you've mm-hmm. done this. Uh, right where the plus signs are, there's also a save button. Click save and uh, and call it um, 
uh, you know, recently modified files or something and leave the add to sidebar button checked. And then when you save it, you've got it over there in your finder sidebar forever. And you never have to think about how to make it again. You just click on that and boom, everything's right there. So now I'm done. Now you now go. Okay. Yeah. What I did is I went to my home directory mm-hmm. library preferences and I clicked on date modified. Okay. So that works except if it happens to be buried in one of the subfolders in there. And that's why I came with up with this other solution. Cause we had a question about a year ago where it was, it turned out to be something buried in one of those like by host folders or something. And because it's not adding a file to it, the folder doesn't move to the top because the folder itself mm-hmm. has not been modified. So that's why I had to come up with this other solution. Yep. And in so, my case, yep. so one of the ones that appeared, so a few appeared, but the one that seemed to make the most sense was com.apple.preference.desktopscreeneffect.plist. And I double clicked on it and it had three keys in it. Apple item expanded, other item expanded, picture item expanded. It's like, Okay, that that sounds reasonable. That sounds like that may be the problem. It's not expanding things. Yeah. So basically, I I whacked that preference file. Uh, well, first no. So first I closed the uh, system preferences. Okay. Then I whacked the preference file. Then I opened it up again. And when I went to when I went to uh, the display again, or I'm sorry, the uh, you know screen. Yeah, it's, uh, whatever it's the that, desktop whatever and screensaver thing. Yeah. Right. Tell me other machine. And when I went to that first, I, I figured what I did had some effect because rather than popping something up immediately, I saw a little spinning progress reel. And I'm like, ah, OK, it realizes that a preference file is gone. So it's rebuilding something. That's a good thing. And sure enough, uh, I waited a few moments and then it showed me iPhoto with the triangle like it did before. And it showed aperture. And now it had an expansion triangle. Yay. Uh and the feedback we got from George is he did something similar and, and it also came back. And I think he also was uh, someone who upgraded. Yep. So apparently this is another thing that needs to be reset to, because uh, like we mentioned, it was actually in the last show. I mean, that the, the, the apps tend to propagate among different parts of the OS, but in this case, yeah, it didn't, didn't just didn't happen quite right. Yep. Maybe just delete all the preference files. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, maybe well. not. <laughs> I do have to say, uh, as we're moving, I think our questions here are not, at least not intentionally going to be about Lion upgrade issues. But I have to say that the iMac that I'm running, you know, the, the new one that I got that came with Lion Fresh, and I did not do any migration to it or anything. It is running much cleaner than any of the upgraded Macs that I have. That said, it's still kind of flaky. I, I think Lion, even at 1071. Uh, still has a couple of quirks. It's it's certainly stable enough where I don't regret running it. Whereas on my upgraded machine, there were many times where I did regret running it. Um, so just you know, one man's experience. But but bear that in mind. You're you're not the only one. I, no, I gotta I know. say I gotta say a lot of the Mac people that that I follow, especially on Twitter, their opinion is that you know it's just kind of half baked. Or I think the same thing. The upgrade the upgrade install makes you feel like they didn't spend enough time on, you know, fixing all the little quirks full of awful. (laughs) I want to talk about our second sponsor (laughs) having nothing to do with awful. Uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor, which is actually another cool company called gazelle gazelle.com. I encourage you to just go there. Uh, 
Uh, click on the link right here in the AAC. Click on the link in the show notes or simply type it in gazelle.com. What they do is they buy all the used electronics that you have. Uh, and it's fun. What I do is I go there and uh, and I start typing in the names of things that I have that I don't use anymore. Old iPods. If you've got an iPhone, uh, especially, you know, keep them in mind when the iPhone uh, five comes out, whenever that might be. Uh, if you want to swap out your iPhone four, this is the place to do it. They will, they, they, you know, they pay top dollar for these things. And, uh, but it's cool. You just type in your deal. You can, there's no commitment at this point, right? You type in what you have. It'll ask you some questions just to clarify. So they know exactly which model you've got. Then they also ask in the case of like an iPhone or something, does it have water damage? Do you have the original charger? Uh, you know, does it come with the accessories? What shape is it in, et cetera, et cetera. And then they tell you, okay, if what you told us is accurate, here's the amount of money we'll pay you. Do you want to do the deal? And if the answer is yes, uh, they will pay for the shipping. You send the thing off to them. Uh, They evaluate it when they get it. Make sure a, it has all the accessories that you said it was going to have and b that it, you know, you, what you think is, is, you know, good condition is what they think is good condition. And if that's the case, they send you your money, either PayPal or whoever else you want it. Uh, If they disagree, uh, either, you know, better or worse, they might think it's great and you only thought it was good or they think it's, you know, not quite as good and you think it's good. They'll let you know. And you then have the choice to uh, either take the the new offer or not. And then they'll send it back. If you say no, thanks. You know, they'll send it back to you again. They cover the shipping. So check it out here. Gazelle.com. We've had quite a few listeners use it uh, and and love it. So, uh, so check it out. And again, keep them in mind for when that, uh, that iPhone five comes out, uh, and you want to get rid of your older iPhone gazelle.com G A Z E L L E. And with that, John, it's time to dig into something a little bit geekier, but, uh, but fun. Nonetheless, Meg writes, I've got a puzzle for you. I recently moved to South Korea and can't get internet in my home until I get my alien resident card, which can take a while. I brought my Drobo FS with me, as well as my airport express. What I'm hoping to do is to create a local wireless network in my house using the airport express so that my computers can all talk to each other and the Drobo. My iTunes libraries on the Drobo, along with all my movies. I've gotten the airport express to work, though it's not very happy about not having an internet connection. The Drobo survived the plane ride, cradled inside a down comforter, and works when plugged directly into a computer. However, I can't seem to get the Drobo and the Airport Express to talk to each other. It seems that the Airport Express is expecting a router to plug into the Ethernet port, not a drive. I've tried a manual IP address on each and turn and on both, but no luck. Is this even possible? So here's the, the, the short answer for, for you playing along at home is yes. And, and we're going to explain how uh, the e, the airport express has one ethernet port and it is WAN only meaning exactly what Meg said. It will connect to, it wants to connect to the internet. And then, and then of course the airport express is built to share that connection. However, like every airport uh, router, the airport express can be put into what's called bridge mode. However, Uh, If you put it into bridge mode, the airport express stops creating its own network. It then relies on something else to create the network and assign all the IP addresses and all of that. So no DHCP server is running DHCP being the thing that assigns the addresses. So there's no automatic way of making this work. Except DHCP 
has a fallback mode. And when you turn your computer on, if you have Ethernet or airport set to obtain an IP address automatically, which is the default, uh, the first thing it does is it looks for one of these DHCP servers. And that's usually what your router does. And it says, yeah, sure, here's an address. Uh, but if after a period of time, you know, usually a minute or so, uh, if it doesn't hear anything from the server, it assigns itself its own address. Each computer does. But these addresses are assigned in the same range so that all devices that assign themselves their own addresses, in theory, should be able to see each other. Uh, so what you're going to do is you're going to turn on your Airport Express and then uh, you want to go into Airport Utility and set it into bridge mode, save those changes, which, of course, with airport routers forces a little reboot. Uh, once that's up, restart your computers and your Drobo FS and plug the FS into the Ethernet port of the Airport Express. Uh, connect your Mac to the Wi-Fi shown on the Airport Express. The, the concept here is that everything's connected to this Airport Express. And even though they're not all getting their IP addresses from the same place, because of the way DHCP works, they're all going to pick on their own addresses that are going to work with each other. And sure enough, uh, we sent this uh, advice to Meg and she confirmed that it worked. Took about a minute, maybe two. And then suddenly everything saw everything and, uh, and she was good to go. So you can, you're setting up your own network by not setting up a network and, uh, and it worked out fine for it. So, uh, so DHCP, the self-assigned address, which normally we all, uh, lament when we see that because it means there's some problem and it means we're not connected to the DHCP server. But in her case, that's exactly what she wanted to see. And, uh, and it worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So any, anything on that? I know we have a, we have a follow-up question, but it's not a follow-up. We have a related question because it's about a, it, it builds on this concept, but uh, we'll, uh, right, we'll let's go. go to Steven and then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit into okay. So some more details about DHCP, but no, you sure. bring up a good point is that this one six nine thing, a yeah. lot of people assume that it just means up. Oh, it failed. Right. So but no, it, it permits. Yeah. It, it permits you. Uh, it permits machines to talk to one another. Right. And, and, and I did not state the address, but John is oh. right. It, no, it, it's good because we're, we're going to need it for Steven's question. So when, when DHCP assigns its own address, uh, it starts with one six nine dot, Two five four. Am I getting that right? It's it's, I got, it's gotta be right, right? One six nine dot two five four. It is. It has to be. Um right? How come I'm drawing a blank on this, John? Uh it hasn't happened to me in a while. I, I know it's one six nine. One six nine. It's one six nine dot two five four, and then the next two octets are totally random, but because of the way okay. because of the way the subnet mask is set up of just two five five dot two five five dot zero dot zero. It means that they're going to see anything that's in that last little subnet. So, uh, so they, they will all see each other. Uh, and, and that's, and that's good to know because if you aren't, if you are rather, if you are expecting a DHCP server to assign you an address and you see a one, six, nine dot two, five, four address in your network preferences, then you, ha you did not get one. And that, that's actually what we're going to talk about here with Steven. So Stephen writes, the basic problem is this. I ran Ethernet cable to my office so as to use a wired connection instead of wireless. I move a lot of video around and I want the speed of using an Ethernet connection. 
When I'm on wireless to an airport express, everything is great. And I get an IP address in the 192.x.x.x family. When I plug in my Ethernet cable, I get a self-assigned IP address in the 169.254.x.x family. And I no longer know what to do. I'm running a Lion uh, on a 27-inch iMac. I've done everything I could find online. I've rebooted everything. I've tried new cables. I've tried new network locations. Turn this on, turn that off. And now I'm at a complete loss. And uh, so here's uh, the, the, the end solution of this uh, is that Stephen called his electrician and he came out. And he checked the wires and found that the wire had disconnected inside one of the sockets inside his wall. Uh, redid the connections on both ends. And that's that. So it's uh, it, it's a very interesting uh, solution. But uh, but but it turned out to be the, the just a bad cable uh, in the wall. And so all you know. The, the whole chain needs to work. And, and that's an indication, you know, if you're, if you're talking to the router, it should get an IP and he's taught, he was talking wirelessly to the router and it was giving him an IP, but wired it was not. And so that's an indication that maybe you're not talking to the router, but, but there's, but it could have been something you want to, you want to talk about this other thing, John, or yeah, no. Yeah. Go. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Because yeah, I got a few things to add. So you and I took different angles on this. So I thought it was, a software angle and that right. the DHCP DHCP server, in this case, the airport was not configured, right? It was a slim chance, but it was an option. And you, you guessed the hardware and it turns out you were correct. Right. You know, it happens. I know. <laughs> well, kidding. no. So here's the thing though. It, it, the, the reason I assumed hardware first is because right. of the limitations of the airport extreme, right? You know, th- this is one of those times when the limitations are good if if it were my router here, right, I can set up different routing and, and different handling of uh, airport or, you know, wireless connections versus wired connections. And I could have DHCP active on one, but not the other. And so if I saw this symptom, I might be tearing my hair out uh, mm-hmm. trying to solve it because I would assume, well, it could be a software problem with the airport extreme or any airport router. DHCP is either on for everything or it's not. So barring some sort of complete, you know, meltdown, mm, well, it's, it's just, okay. you know, it's going to, it's either going to well, work. I want to correct you. Go ahead. Well, I want to correct you. All right. So here's, here's some of the facets of DHCP. So what happens is a computer goes on the network and says, hi, DHCP server. I need an IP address. Right. Now, the thing is, is that there's not an infinite number of IP addresses. And depending on how you set up your DHCP server, you may want to limit the pool of addresses. And this is typically, I think, why a lot of people use DHCP is it allows one computer to get on, use it for a while, and then give it up. And this is usually called a lease, and there's a lease time within which time period the computer owns that address. And I guess once that expires, there's a chance that address that was handed out to one computer may be handed out to another. So DHCP is a nice way to, it's a nice strategy to make efficient use of a limited resource, which is IP addresses in an environment. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that on the airport, there is one of the screens. So if you run the airport utility and you go under internet and DHCP, there is, there are two settings, DHCP beginning address and DHCP ending address. Now, again, I, I mentioned this. Now, it wasn't correct, but <laughs> but the thing is, if you create a small enough pool, 
and all of the addresses are taken up and it could be perhaps this was my guess again it's it's far-fetched but sometimes uh, sometimes <laughs> i get these right uh, it could be that all of the ip addresses were consumed or the airport thought they were consumed and because it couldn't give out anymore it's uh, the, the the machine failed it basically didn't get a response because the machine the the dhcp server said i'm out i i have no more addresses to give you I guess that could happen. I mean, he rebooted the router, which typically resets the typically. Uh, yeah, but not the, the but, but, but these settings here again, if, if you make it small. Now, the thing is, in my case, like I'm no, looking he, at mine, but for even example. if it was small, if he was getting one with here, here's my here's the logic here. Right. If he's getting an address with wireless. Right. Yes. There is one available. Now, if he reboots the router, it's going to forget about the address it handed out wirelessly. And he tries to get an address wired. In theory, it, he's going to get that, you know, that lease slot in theory, depending yeah. on you know, various okay. factors. Yeah. But so to me that, that so that is the only potential software or configuration issue that would cause you not to get an address. Now, I mentioned a few additional things. Now, it turns out you were right, but I, I dug in and I, I suggested a few other things. And he actually mentioned something that didn't come up earlier. So. Two, two, thing, two other things you could do to determine if it's a, if it's a wiring or a hardware problem. Mm. So one is network utility. Now, network utility, which is in your utilities folder, uh, has an info tab. And under the info tab is going to be an entry for each of your interfaces. And if you select your Ethernet interface, there's going to be a link status. Now, if right. everything's ducky, like your cable and your connection, the status is going to be active. And I verified this because I... Ran, you know, I ran my mini. I took the cable. As soon as I disconnected it, immediately went to inactive. That's a good point. So, yeah, that's so, a great way to check. And and for him, it certainly would have been inactive because even though the cables that he was using between his computer and the wall and the airport extreme in the wall were good, the cable in the wall obviously was was not right. good. So yeah, so that would have been a hint because I'm sure yeah. it would have said inactive and be like, well, wait a second, I could have yeah, I'm, I got a new cable. Right. So yeah, so so that would help. Uh, another thing is hardware growler, though it, it's kind of misbehaving with me. It, it, it keeps crashing when I wake up my oh, MacBook nice. Pro. But hardware growler will show you when network interfaces go up and down. That's another thing you may want to run. Huh. And then the last thing. Now, this is an oddity on the airport. So they have a little light on the Ethernet port. But unlike uh, on most PCs, usually what I've seen, and this is why they're light, I was wondering exactly what it did because in the documentation and they really don't go into detail they call it ethernet activity light which is kind of misleading because i don't think that's what that light does because the ethernet ports that i'm used to on the pc would usually have two lights a green light and a yellow light the green light would indicate whether the thing the, the port was powered up or there's something was plugged into it and the yellow light would flicker based on the activity i don't think what's on the airport uh, is an activity light i believe it's a status light does it not actually flicker? when Steve, does it not flicker when there's activity? I, I didn't. Well, it's green, right? Which to me, the green means it's more of a status than an activity. Yeah, but light. there's a, there's a lot of devices out there that use a combined status no. activity right. light. I, I watched the light for a little while and I didn't see it flicker at all. Okay. But actually okay. Steve confirmed it, And part of his troubleshooting, he actually confirmed that the light was not on right on his right. unit which indicated that, yeah, it was more of a, a hardware connectivity issue in that when the cable was plugged in, the light should go on if there's something on the other end uh, powering the port. So that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. 
Uh, all right. What are we looking at here? Uh, let's check out Lisa's uh, question. It's yet, yet more interesting things here. Lisa writes, I was on a trip for a week and turned my 24-inch iMac off running Snow Leopard and left my time capsule and the Comcast cable modem on. When I got back, the little network fan at the top of the date on the iMac would not light up, i.e. the airport range uh, sensor, uh, or even show my network when I clicked on the icon. When I tried to type in the name of my network and its password, I got a screen that... uh, that John didn't keep in the email, but that's okay. Uh, Rescan did not help. Then when I plugged an ethernet cable from the time capsule into the iMac, voila time capsule knew it was at heart, a wireless base station Uh, here in the screenshots. Here are the screenshots from doing that again, John, you didn't keep the screenshots in the email. So this is, is this question even going to work? What, what, what was this? This question is reliant on screenshots. So I'm, I'm, I'm relying on you, John, to, uh, to, to help us out here. All right. I'm catching up. Okay. Keep going here. Mm. Uh, what, what was, what was her, uh, what was her general issue here? I think the general issue is that uh, all of a sudden wireless connectivity went away. Okay. Fair enough. Go. So I don't, I don't think we need them. So we don't need the screenshot. Okay. Well, if, if you know, yeah. Okay. That that's, that's all we need. That that's, that's plenty. So her time capsule worked with a wired connection, but would, right. was not broadcasting nor answering on wireless. Is that right? Safe. That's synopsis? that I believe. Yeah. Okay, I would say good. that's the essence of the question. Great. So here was my suggestion. Yep. So my thought was one of two things happened. So one, for whatever silly reason, the radios died, which I suppose it could happen. Yeah. You know, hardware fails eventually. <laughs> All hardware fails. Sure. So the radios could have died. Uh, I have a third thought, but I'm going to give you my second thought first before the third thought. But the second thought is that perhaps the setting, and I've done this, but but the uh, using third-party software, but perhaps the settings in the airport are corrupted. And that for whatever silly reason, the radio doesn't work. Now, how, you ask yourself, can I reset my airport to factory settings? And I'll tell you how. Go. So you run airport utility, which I'm spending a lot of time in there lately, and it'll list your devices. And if you right click or option click or whatever, whatever you have uh, set up for your that sort of click, if you click on the device, you'll get a number of options here. Uh, and one of them is restore default settings. And that's basically going to start it off as, as fresh out of the box, as far as I can tell. Now, what you may want to do before that. Now, you, now don't, is, you don't have to you don't have to right click, actually. You can. That works. But it also lives in the base station menu. So once you highlight the base station and airport, ah, you, tell good me, option. you can just go to the same option, restore default settings. Now, the other thing you may want to do before doing that, because there's a lot of data that you, you, know, you, you got to spend some time setting up all these, you know, DHCP and all these different settings here. So what you may want to do beforehand, and this was my suggestion, is in the file menu is a choice export configuration file. And based on my most recent uh, experience, what that does is exports all of the custom info that you've uh, you've set up. 
So you may want to export that. And if you have an airport, you may want to do that now, just in case you have to reset the device. It's a great idea. So my assumption, so my assumption here is that the configuration data is not incorrect, that it's correct, that there's something else that's confused in the device. So my thought process was by resetting, by first saving your configuration file, then resetting the device and then importing it. Now, you, you may not want to do the import right away. You may want to just see if you can talk to it. You know, maybe right. maybe take a few basic steps, you know, go through the basic setup of the device and see if it shows up. And then if it shows up, then import the configuration file. And hopefully that doesn't screw everything up. Um, that that was yeah. my my thought short of uh, the, the third thought is that there is now someone new in the neighborhood that is preventing you for whatever reason, from seeing your base station when you used to be able to see it before. So, so I'm That's thinking the problem rare, lies possible. Yeah. I'm thinking the problem lies in the device. Now it, it, it could also be the computer, the computers. Oh, that's hardware. true. Yeah. Yep. The computer's wireless. Yeah. If that doesn't appear. Yeah. Yeah. Test it with another computer too, but re- restoring or resetting the base station is a, uh, is a good first step. No, nothing, nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you mentioned this in passing, but I will, I will restate it here, John. If you have any router, uh, an Apple router or a Linksys router or a D-Link router or whatever you've got, go and save a copy of your current settings. And in, in, with the airport router, it's exactly what John said. It's that export configuration file. If you've got a Linksys router, uh, you have to log into it in a web page, which arguably is easier than having to have a separate app that does it. But uh, you log in with a web page and then uh, usually in the administration tab, there is an option for uh, saving out the settings somewhere. And that is a handy thing to do. I have that has saved my bacon far more than one time having the you know, once I get my router configured the way I want it with my, you know, network name and the password and maybe some, you know, DHCP reservations and that sort of thing, save it uh, off to a disc or what I do is I save it to my Dropbox and that way it is on all of my computers or really any computer that can just access dropbox.com. I can go and download that file and then upload it to the, to the router using whatever, whatever mechanism is required for that router. But that's uh, yeah, it's good advice, John. I did not want it to go glossed over. Time to move to Fred. Sure. Fred. Okay. Uh, oh, do I have the right Fred here? Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, narrow down Fred's question here and, and we'll get to the essence of it. Essentially Fred, uh, and here we are, he upgraded to lion. And inside his uh, Drobo dashboard utility, suddenly all of the uh, labels for all of the categories that uh, were listed there went away. The icons were there, but the labels went blank. And uh, so we needed to fix this. So uh, go into applications and font book. Highlight all the fonts and choose file validate font that my assumption was that something in snow leopard or something in lion corrupted this font or something in the upgrade. Uh, And to me, that's going to begin the troubleshooting process. Uh, And then if it does show up a font that's bad, uh, it'll have a little red uh, exclamation point by it. You can uh, remove or disable 
any problem fonts and then try relaunching the app. And I've actually had that solve some problems. Fontbook is a, is a very, very handy utility for scouring through your myriad uh, collection of fonts and seeing if you can uh, see it'll find, it'll find those problems. And I don't, I don't know how else you would find them. Fontbook is, uh, is, is one of those apps that it sits there dormant, but when you need it, it is fantastic. Thoughts on this, John? I know you're you're a font mm-hmm. book you're a font book fan too. Um, I'd like not to be, but <laughs> right. But no, the pro- the problem I, I've used it to, so where it's come in handy for me is that it, it one thing it does uh, in addition to being able to verify the integrity of the fonts, I think it'll do some sort of integrity check. Is one thing it does which seems to cause grief in a lot of in several apps is it detects multiple occurrences of the same font. And for whatever reason, I think some software is kind of dumb and that it installs a font when it's already there. And it's like, dude, why <laughs> look for it before you install it? But I'm looking right now and I'm having a report multiple fonts here. Wingdings, Veranda, Turbida, Times, Times New Roman. I got multiple. What? Yeah, I got multiple instances of, of the same typeface. I got two copies of Times New Roman regular. It's like, what? So. I blame the applications. Whoever did this, I'm going to find them and, and have a, a talking to. But, <laughs> but that, co- yeah, apps, apps, apps get screwed up when, when they see that, when they see multiple occurrences. Uh, or, or we've run into it before with the, especially, I think, some PDF issues. I think it resolved to, uh, or, or any app. But this can fix it. It'll disable it. It'll let you disable one or the other, and then, then things should be better. So. And it's a nice font viewer, too. So you can see what they look like. It is actually a really nice font viewer. Yeah. Can you print a font book from uh, from within the app? I thought they had. Did they? I think they? you can. I no, think you a, can. That's a swell feature. It yeah. would be nice if it. Uh, well, let me look in the print dialog. Hmm. I seem to recall it. Being, yep. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It. it well, no, I think it's only the highlight. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sure if you, yeah, I'm sure if I highlight all the fonts here, right? Click on the fonts and do command A, which of course means select all. Let's say print. And uh, I have 237 fonts on my system here. Oh, my, the print seems to be thinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's uh, that oh, preview is going to take a little while to generate, huh? All right, let's do uh, let's do some cool stuff found, shall we? Surely. All right. Uh, Joe writes, I want to recommend Name Munger by Kaji. Uh, I use Outlook web app Lite to get mail from my work account when I don't want to use our Citrix, Citrix connection on my late 2007 MacBook Pro. Recently, as in the past three weeks, whenever I download an attachment that has a space in the name, the characters percent 20 are inserted for the space. This never happened before, and other than having a fan replaced, nothing on my laptop has changed. This makes it very annoying to find files and save files. Renaming all those files manually is a pain. I googled this issue, and all I could come up with was that some servers download files with these characters as spaces, and some don't. So I looked for a solution. I found NameMunger, which is very cool, hence my submission. I can download to my heart's content, pull up NameMunger, drag my downloads folder onto it, and instantly it strips those pesky characters off the names, all for just 10 bucks. Now, if I can only figure out a way to have this run automatically, perhaps I will have to teach myself AppleScript. Uh, in theory, so thank you for sending that in, Joe. In theory, actually, you could uh, set a folder action on it 
and uh, and have that folder action trigger uh, an Apple script that runs name Munger, presuming that app, that name Munger isn't uh, Apple scriptable itself. But uh, but yeah, you, I bet you could do that. I bet that would be possible. Uh, and then Corey, this is this is definitely a geeky one. And it's the kind of thing that uh, that I couldn't possibly do. Uh, he says a new useful tool in Lion that I discovered is called NetTop, N-E-T-T-O-P. It shows network connection details on a per app basis. Super useful for debugging network issues on a specific app. Uh, and he did send in a little a screenshot and he ran NetTop space dash M space TCP from the terminal. And then what that does is that shows all the apps uh, and all of the ports that are open. If you once it's launched, if you simply press the left arrow once, it collapses all the ports down to a single app list. And uh, he says, make sure you maximize your terminal window or you'll miss all the cool, tasty bits out to the side. And it is pretty cool, actually, to uh, to be able to see per app what's going on. And it's net top, N-E-T-T-O-P. Have you run that one before, John? I run top, but right. Not net top. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, all right. Everett has, uh, Everett's got something to say. Hey John. Hey Dave. I have a couple of cool keyboard stuff for you on the newer MacBook pros. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's no page up page down on the arrow keys or end and home on the arrow keys either. Plus, they got rid of the little nice delete key and put in option instead. I found something that's really cool that I like to do is uh, hold down function, hit delete. It gives you that back, nice backwards delete key. Uh, hold down function, hit up. It's page up. Hold down function and hit page down. It's still page down. And then you hit... Uh... I think we lost him. And, uh, and that's why I have a separate... Second file for him. Sorry about that. Grant dropped me. Um, but, and then you hold down function and hit the left arrow key. That's home. Hold down function. The right arrow key. That's end. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know. Uh, something that I found pretty handy. This is where you cut me off. All right, and we will cut you off. There was some weird sound there, but in it, I think somebody let the dogs out. Sounded like it, but anyway, function and uh, and the arrow keys can can add a lot of functionality there for you on the uh, on the new keyboards. And I I confirmed this even on my iMac with the you know the new little Bluetooth keyboard that it came with. So that's uh, that's it. I did John hear back from Mister Martellero here via Skype, and uh, he tells me uh, that to. Put your name and phone number or any message you want on your login screen. Go into system preferences. And this is in Lion. Uh, system preferences, security and privacy, general. And then there is a show a message edit box. And uh, you just type in there what you want to appear. And sure enough, it will appear yeah. on. Yeah, is that working? Yeah. Well, I see it. It's grayed out, but. Okay. Because I have to click on the little, oh, look at to, that. You have to unlock it in order to do that. That's right. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, so that's a great backup plan in case the business card falls off of the uh, that is. Yeah. machine. That someone opens the machine, and of course, when they see your name and phone number and all that, they'll uh, they'll call you right up. There used to be a way of doing that. A tinker tool, I guess, would um, would do that. 
uh, you know, it, it was possible in prior versions of the OS because I, on my laptop for years, I've had my, my phone number, uh, right there just in case, but, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think you probably got about a 50, 50 chance if it's the TSA of getting it back. Oh, jeez. No, <laughs> uh, I know. No, there, there's all, there's a few bad apples that make them all look bad. That's true. Yeah. No, there've been a couple of cases of TSA people, uh, helping themselves to items. That's right. But yeah. Again, few bad apples. I think most of them are uh, trying to do their very unpleasant job as well as they can. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're right. They don't have an easy job to do. That's no, I've heard sure. that actually in, a, in Bradley Airport. I, I would hear pages from the uh, security area saying, you know, we got a whatever computer or something could whoever left it here, uh, please come and get it. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that a few times. So. Huh. Uh, all right. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can't page us at Bradley Airport usually, but you can uh, send us an email to feedback at macgeekgab.com. I'm going to try that the next time I'm at Bradley. I'm going to see if we can get if if they can page us. But um, but I, I totally agree with you, Dave, is that you want to email us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, and then you can email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com. Premium? What's that, Dave? You get two extra episodes a month. You get full access to the archives. You get that warm, fuzzy feeling that you can only get from supporting your two favorite geeks. And it's all just 25 bucks for six months. Come check us out. MacGeekGab.com. We'll be doing premium episode uh, 353 on uh, Thursday, I believe. I think that's right with the schedule. Uh, you can call us. Anybody can call us. 206-666-GEEK, which John is... Uh, I don't have a telephone in front of me. I have no... Do you, I... have it, you haven't memorized this after six and a half years? Yeah, of course I have. It's 4335. Okay, three, <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't know if you were pulling my leg or what. Uh, let's see. You can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab, and you can find us on Twitter at Mac Geek Gab, of course, for the show and uh, little tips and tidbits that we come along uh, with during the week that we just can't wait to share. And uh, so that's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. John is John F. Braun. Pete's Pilot Pete. And Mac Observer is Mac Observer, all there on Twitter. Facebook. Absolutely. Facebook. Facebook.com slash Mac Geek Gab. You can, you can like us. You could love us, but you can. Facebook you doesn't could let that happen. To- or you could tolerate us. That's right. <laughs> but you could yeah, like us. I, I, think we're, I think that's in a good comfort zone there, right? Someone we like is Mr. Michael Johnston. He converts this show to AAC for us and for all of you. Uh, you can listen to his podcast at wehavecommunicators.com. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Johnston. Uh, Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle at Gazelle.com, and of course, uh, there's Blog World Expo, and if you use Observer VIP, you get 20% off your registration there. Oh, and uh, actually, I got that wrong. Uh, this month, is Smile is, uh, it, of course, they have Disc Label. But uh, this month, they are promoting, we are promoting PDF Pen for them. And we have the code GEEK11, which gets you a 20% discount from Smile. And it's all through Backbeat Media. And with that, now that we've gotten that right... 
it's time to move off. Finish up our day. I'll enjoy watching the Patriots and their season opener tonight. Uh, is that football? It is. Oh, man. We, we live football here. My son plays uh, seven days a week, I think. It's crazy. We might have to ratchet that back, actually. Uh, until uh, Thursday, I guess it is. Don't get caught.